It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday february 22nd you're listening to episode 456 as always i'm your host jason uh today joined by a special guest sarah perry game designer and operations manager at jellybean games also doing customer support for pandasaurus hey how's it going today sarah it is going pretty good i'm glad to be here yeah thanks for Thanks for joining us, uh, joining us, joining me, joining the podcast, the we, the royal we. Uh, <laughs> excited to have you here. So, uh, what have uh, what what have you been up to lately? Um, uh, it's not going to sound very interesting, but just a lot of work and playing with my new puppy that I recently got a few months ago. And that's interesting. That's exciting. <laughs> Yeah, um, he's finally getting to the age where he is better behaved, and I don't have to constantly supervise him every minute of every day, so <laughs> that's nice. I'm finally getting some respite. <laughs> right, right. That is good. That is good. Uh, I felt that way about my kids when they got to a certain <laughs> age. Um, also, our dog, but uh, <laughs> it's, it is nice. You have that feeling of like, I can walk out of the room, and they're not going to you know, tear something up, uh, be it kids or dogs, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, where I, I forgot to ask you when we were chatting before, whereabouts are you located in the country? I am in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, all right. All right. Yeah. I heard the, heard the Southern accent and I was hoping you were in Texas because <laughs> of all the problems. Uh, but I assume we wouldn't be talking if you were in Texas <laughs> because you wouldn't have power possibly. My gosh, it's horrible. Everything happening down there. Yeah, it is. And Alabama is getting not as bad but also pretty bad like the other day it it snowed for the first for maybe the second time i've seen in like the last 10 or 15 years i've been here like it we it is everybody's unprepared oh yeah yeah um yeah that's i i've been in states before that don't normally get snow when it snowed it's just pandemonium because i mean if you're not used to it snow is debilitating frankly Mm -hmm. um we, I, I, so I live in Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, as the listeners know. And, uh, so we've gotten about a foot and a half of snow in the last week, um, which we had one school snow day, um, during that time, <laughs> because it's just, I mean, that's, that's not very abnormal here. Um, they, they usually shut us down if there's too much snow or it got actually got down this morning. I woke up, it was minus nine, um, Wow which was thankful that we're all locked in the house and we can't go anywhere anyways. So (laughs) (laughs) my dog was not happy about it, but yeah, my, my puppy has not been happy that we have not been going outside for like the last week. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. I'm sure the puppy doesn't mind a little bit of snow going outside to use the bathroom and stuff. Cause (laughs) you know, as long as you don't have huge piles of it, they have to they have to wade through. That's what my mm-hmm. dog hates is wading through the piles of snow. Have you uh you had a chance to play any games lately? I have. So I actually just got uh, a handful of games, which are probably like the first new games that I've gotten in a long time, uh, which was very exciting. So I've been playing um, My City, which has been really fun um 
I, I was excited about it and I knew that I was probably going to like it because I like tile placement-y kind of games. But I'm enjoying mm-hmm. it even more than I thought I would, which is really nice. And then I got two new, um, like a, oh, what are they called? Like standalone missions. I forget the term for them, but for the Arkham Horror LCG. And Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is probably maybe my favorite game (laughs) um so that has been very very exciting very cool very cool um my city is that is that the kinesia legacy game um i think so i forget off the top of my head who designed it but it it But is, is it the it's the legacy one though right where like each time the tiles fit differently and then like you like draw some stuff on the board is that is that the one it it's Got legacy aspects, yeah. So you can get okay, different okay. tiles throughout the game, and there's stickers that you put on the board and stuff. Cool, cool. Yeah, I haven't. Um, I I bought that. Um, and I, I just my wife and I haven't found time to sit down and actually like commit to playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, because each I want to say each game session you have to play is about forty five minutes to an hour, is what I think it said on the box. I don't know if that's accurate or not. <laughs> um, I think it just depends on who you're playing with and how fast. So I play with my partner and we can get a game done in like 20, 25 minutes, maybe like we go really fast. So we usually, that's not bad at all. So we usually play like three or four in one sitting. Uh, So we're, we're kind of blazing through it. Nice. That is uh, that's cool. Yeah. I I really want to check it out. I I picked it up right away because I mean, I also love tile placement games. I love city builders. Mm-hmm. Um, I generally I like Kinesia games, and so and I I like games with the legacy aspect. Um, that's you know because there's not so many of those games tend to be heavier than my um, than my taste in games or like mm-hmm. that my wife would want to play. Um, so so yeah, uh, so this one looked a little lighter, and yeah, if you can do a game in 25, 30 minutes, that is plenty light <laughs> for me. <laughs> awesome. So, hey, today we were going to talk a bit uh, about your role specifically um, as the operations manor- manager for Jelly Beans Games, uh, Jelly Beans, Jelly, J- Jelly's Beans Games for Jelly Bean Games. Um, I-, I was really interested. Uh, uh, we had got matched up to chat uh, by Carla um, from Weird Giraffe. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, I was um, I was super interested to, to kind of hear about what you do there and, and what that's like. Um, you know, we don't always get to, you know, we, we've had a lot of people on the show who are, you know, independent publishers who, who kind of do it all themselves. Um, but this kind of next level, I, I'm excited to talk about uh, that and find out a bit more about how a company like that is working and, you know, and how, like what you're doing within that as the operations manager. Yeah. So I have worn almost all the hats that are available at Jelly Bean. So I came on as customer support and then moved up to logistics coordinator and am now operations manager. So I've done a little bit of all the things. Uh, So as operations manager, I'm doing a lot more like higher level managerial type stuff. So that's a lot of like managing timelines and making sure products are printing when they should be printing and shipping when they should be shipping and um, working on like developing business best practices and systems and really making sure that the company is running as well oiled as it can. Um, But I 
haven't been doing operations manager stuff for too long. So I actually just started about a month and a half ago. Uh, so the bulk of my time at Jelly Bean was spent as the logistics coordinator where I handled like coordinating all of basically all of the shipping. So if the process from when a game is ready to go to a printer all the way up until it ends up in somebody's table or at their mailbox or anything like that. So that was a lot of um, get coordinating printing and like how many things we should print and how we should print them with our manufacturer and then organizing between different logistics fulfillment partners around the world in different countries to say, this is how many should go here and here's all the shipping data and where all the games should be shipped to. Um, a lot of like moving parts coordination type stuff. Um, and now I'm doing a lot more of, uh, like I said before, like a lot of the more high level manager stuff, um, which is just working with our new customer support person and then our new logistics coordinator to um, help with onboarding right now. Um, but mm -hmm. then uh, just making sure that like everything is, is going how it should go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you basically, especially when you're talking about in the logistics section there, I feel like you talked about all the scary stuff, right? Like all the <laughs> stuff that scares people when they think about publishing a game, uh, you know, yeah. coordinating all that shipping. And, and I know with Jellybean, you mentioned you, you coordinate to a lot of different uh, points of delivery right within the world where you're mm -hmm. shipping to partners, correct? In mm -hmm. other countries. Um, and that's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how you get the deals where you can say like, this is EU friendly or something like that, right? Where it's, cause it's shipping there instead of being like mailed there from here. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that stuff is, you know, it's, it's really changing right now because of Brexit and the pandemic and all this other stuff. Shipping is, a nightmare right now um but, but yeah. that's what i've heard and <laughs> not that it already wasn't <laughs> but now it's even worse yeah um, so um gosh what i mean obviously there are so so many challenges with that i mean what kind of output does jellybean have like in numbers of games per year is that something you can talk about um we typically try to do four products per year so we usually okay. launch a kickstarter uh once every quarter uh but jellybean i'm technically the operations manager for bluebeard entertainment which is the the company that works right. with that like oversees jellybean so jellybean does a lot of games and products but we've also started to branch out into other stuff so right now we're partnering with cracking the cryptic this really popular youtube sudoku group and we're helping mm -hmm. put together like a, a super cool kind of advanced Sudoku book. So we're kind of expanding out into other stuff as well. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So yeah, I, I've, I've known of Bluebeard Entertainment, but actually didn't realize that that was like a parent company to Jellybean. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, so yeah, so that's just, and that's all, is that all run by Peter Haywood? Mm -hmm. Hayward? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I mean, he is the blue beard. So if not, yeah. I would feel like I would feel like something was amiss. Right. So, um, wow. So that's a lot. That's, you know, so four games a year. Yeah. I mean, that in and of itself is, you know, for um, for a hobby game publisher is is that's, you know, especially if you're doing Kickstarter for most of them. Right. I mean, that's 
um, that is cranking out quite a bit of stuff, you know, with every quarter. So when you're dealing with that, um, like the, the, do you, do you go through like multiple printers? Are you typically working with the same, um, manufacturers each time or because the products, the products vary, does it, does it change? So when we start off working on a project, we get quotes from, uh, like a handful of different manufacturers to see, you know, who's, who's going to be able to do what we need to do with this product and make it the way that we think we want to make it and who's going to have the best price for it too. So we, right, we right. get quotes from a lot of different manufacturers. We tend to end up working with the same one because um, we have a really mm-hmm. good relationship with them, but. Right, right. Yeah. I was just curious because thinking about hopping manufacturers also has to just add that extra wrinkle, right? Of, mm-hmm. <laughs> who's doing this project? And oh my gosh. So with the operations side of things, when you're you're talking about like setting the timelines, so is that like for you look at a product and you say like, how, how, how do you set the timelines for that? Um, it, it kind of depends. So usually we, we already know a year or so in advance of, of what we're probably going to do. Mm-hmm. So last year we already knew the products that were going to be in our lineup for this year. So right, that, right. that definitely helps. Um, Peter does a lot of the, the like Kickstarter timeline planning. Um, but a lot of it too is really taking the, I guess the tone of the world right now and trying to find out what, what products people want and will be well received by right. people in the moment. So like, for example, Jelly Bean does a lot of party games that usually have like higher, right. like eight person player counts. Those are not going to be very well received right now. So, right, right. Um, those, the, that but there will come a time when that's going to be real big again. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, so Peter handles a lot of the like the timeline setting, but a lot of it is just like seeing like what is ready to be produced. So we always have like a bunch of different stuff in the timeline, but like in the pipeline, but what is actually ready to, you know, become public facing and then taking the tone and seeing like, what do we think is good for this moment? Right. Right. And is that, I mean, like I have to imagine that that can be a logistical nightmare when you're planning on, cause I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you were planning on some games and then the pandemic hit and now suddenly you have to pivot. And mm-hmm. put those on the back burner. Um, and for most Kickstarter games, you're getting artwork and everything done ahead of time, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. you end up with a lot of stuff that you can't do anything with at the current moment. Is that is that correct? We have definitely been uh, affected by the pandemic. I'll say that. So yeah, yeah. What um are, do you typically? I'm trying to remember with Jellybean. Do you typically sell in? Like, do you do any mass market or is it mostly hobby game stores, online conventions? Um, we do a lot of sales uh, primarily through Kickstarters, but we also have a website that we do sales through. Um, we work with uh, PSI for distributing out to small local game stores. And we are trying to get into bigger chains like Target and Barnes and & Noble and stuff. Awesome. Um, that is awesome. Well, y'all have a great line. So yeah, mm-hmm. you seem like a good fit for that. And I know at least 
pre-pandemic your convention um booths were always great with good stuff at it and uh yeah i met peter a couple times at those chatting with him about stuff and uh mm-hmm. yeah yeah what do you think um from the logistics standpoint i'm curious what uh when you were doing the logistics side of things what was the most what I mean, what was the most challenging parts of doing that Ooh, what a question I know, uh, <laughs> I know, right? You can name a couple things or, you know, if that's helpful, you don't want to like have to rank them. Um, let's see, what is, so one of the biggest problems, I guess, logistically, like in terms of coordination is making sure that all of the timelines for shipping are where they should be. So for example, Jellybean mm-hmm. uses different fulfillment partners in different countries. So uh, we might we have a different fulfillment partner in the U.S. than we do for Asia, and then a different one for Australia and New Zealand, and then a different one for mm-hmm. the EU, and now probably a different one for the U.K. So right. when our games are ready at the manufacturer, we have to split those up into different shipments. So the the U.S. games go out on a boat specifically for the U.S. and the Asia ones get on a truck and um, the things going to the EU get on a different boat. So all of those things are moving in different times and the port situations and congestion and stuff can really mess up when the boats are supposed to show up places. And right. just getting to those different places takes different amounts of time. So it's something you really have to stay on top on on top of to make sure that like you know where all the boats are and where everything <laughs> is uh, and keep up with your fulfillment partners to make sure like if the US boat arrives before everything else coordinate that shipment but like keep an eye on everything else and then when the EU stuff shows up start that wave of uh, of fulfillment but keep up with everything else so it's a it's a lot of like you have to be able to look at the big picture, but then also zero in on stuff to make sure everything's going to plan because sometimes it will get kind of out of sync just because of the nature of, you know, international travel and shipping. Um, right. The The boats are the hardest part. So that's like the logistical hard part. But the hardest part for me is when things are actually on the boat. So like they've left the manufacturer and the fulfillment partners have the backer data and they're ready to ship as soon as the games get there. But you just have to wait. <laughs> you just have to wait sometimes like months for the boats to show up. Right. And it's, right. it's so frustrating because it's like we're ready to go. Just the boat just needs to get there. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's in your tracking like a half a dozen boats basically with each thing, you know, with each product, right. If they're going to that many different ports. Um, yeah. Cause I'm assuming it is right. It's all separate boats. It's not like one boat just swinging by dropping games yeah. off at every port. <laughs> that seems inefficient. Yeah. You know, that's now that you mentioned it though, that's one of the things I've seen on uh, some of the, especially some of the larger Kickstarters that I've backed where it's like, okay, all games should now be shipping to this country. Mm-hmm. All games have arrived and should be shipping to that country, right? And it really, like, it's all dependent on how long it takes to get them to that specific country and mm-hmm. get them fulfilled by the partners. 
And there's lots of little stuff that can impede that process and slow it down. So different countries, their their customs are mm-hmm. harder than other countries. And, um, you know, the whole, the whole thing with the UK and the EU right now is really, really messing right. up any kind of shipping that goes on there. Uh, so it the the pandemic has severely severely impacted shipping. Um, so it is it is constantly changing at the moment. Yeah, I, I have to imagine. I know that um, between the the Brexit stuff, and then I know we had, you know, uh, over the last four years we had the tariff war, the stupid thing with China, where we were making things, you know, like coming from China to here cost different prices, which I know was challenging uh for um you know for game companies importing things um yeah yeah it all gosh there's so many things uh that have been topsy-turvy and then you know throw a pandemic on top of that just for good measure (laughs) um to make it even more complex um so yeah yeah yeah. and i'm assuming too if you all are printing in china and stuff you're consistently having to work around things like um the new year uh like the mm-hmm. lunar new year there right and i know that they do they shut down for like a month or something like that is that correct uh generally yeah some di- some businesses okay. sometimes shut down for shorter amounts of time but basically you okay. can okay you can count the whole month of february out okay okay yeah and i know that i've heard um many times like i i don't i honestly don't know a ton about it but i i've heard from several different, you know, we have to beat the new lunar new year. Like if we don't get it before then we're, we're going to wait like until after then. Right. And that's mm-hmm. a month delay. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's always interesting when you're doing things, you know, in other countries where they observe different holidays and do things, you know, different culturally and things. Um, do you deal a lot directly, um, either in the, when you were doing the logistics job or when you were doing, um, the operations job now, did you deal directly with, um, communicating with uh, manufacturers in China, or um, did you like have a U.S. liaison? I know different companies do it different ways. Um, no, we just had uh, two direct reps for our manufacturer that we typically work with. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I, I was just curious because, like I said, I I'm getting quotes for a game that I'm looking to kickstart. I've I've met companies where I'm talking to someone directly in China, or I'm talking to like they'll have a U.S. based person who you talk to, mm-hmm. who then talks to the people in China, you know. And so it's it's interesting, um, and uh, and even like I'm assuming sometimes you were as the logistics person, were you submitting for quotes and things like that as well? Then, um, sometimes. So that that's something that is more of an operations manager thing for Jelly Beans. Oh, so. okay. Our last operations manager was doing a lot of that, and I guess now. Okay, so now, now you that get to do my it. Job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I, I I've only done that a couple times, but it's nerve wracking for me at least every time because I'm afraid I'm gonna like ask for the wrong thing and like get mm-hmm. it quoted wrong and then be totally wrong. <laughs> I'm I'm assuming with you know the experience of working with the same companies and having made lots of games that probably gets a bit easier. <laughs> I would hope. Um. I mean, in general, I guess it's easier because <laughs> like we have we have people that we work with and we kind of already know uh, what to expect from their rates and their policies and stuff. And so between years, it doesn't change too right, much. Right. But, you know, imposter syndrome <laughs> is a yes. is a beast. And 
it it always makes me think that you know I'm I'm quoting something wrong or I'm I'm doing something slightly off and it's going to cause a huge problem that we just don't know about yet. Right, right, and that's I mean you know that's that's got to be one of the biggest fears of of working in a position like that. I didn't even think about that. Like, um, but you know like let's let's try and make it sound even more stressful here so like i mean if you quote something like off by like a dollar a game somehow like i know that's a that's a big number especially for a smaller box game but that's i mean that is that could be a huge mm-hmm. amount of money um depending on how many you print and you know so and, and how successful yeah. your campaign is because if if you right let's say you, you're off a dollar but you only sell a hundred games that's only a hundred dollars off you sell a thousand games that's a thousand dollars off right, of your budget right. and it just scales up from there right right yeah yeah you want to hope you're wrong in the in the right direction <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i have to imagine that that's that's got to be nerve-wracking and i think that was one of my biggest fears was um I, you know and i i i researched doing some just printing here for some real small projects with the game crafter and um, one of the biggest challenges I ran into was like trying to figure out their quoting, like, okay, so it's going to cost this. And then I would be like, oh, wait, no, I misunderstood that. You know, and that made me really gun shy. About, like, <laughs> so when I was going to these printers and they were just like, oh, here's the cost. And I'm like, this is, this, this feels too easy. I feel like, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm wrong. <laughs> That's why you got to get those itemized quotes, especially yes, for yes. printers. They, those are super helpful. Right. And they did the the last couple that I got, they were nice and itemized. W- one of the things I found really interesting um, was when I reached out to the one company for a quote, um, they, I just was like, here's my stuff. And they asked me like two questions and then said, here's your quote. And then I went to this other company and I said, like with those adjusted things and was like, this is all they're going to need. And I gave it to them. And then they asked me like 30 questions <laughs> and gave me a quote. And I was like, feel like either one company's asking too many questions or one's not asking enough <laughs> and that so that also like struck me as like oh no <laughs> is, is mm-hmm. that bad um, um i i would i would be more wary of somebody that's not asking enough questions it, and that was my thought i was like you can't ask too many questions right yeah. i mean like like we can't get too specific on what what i'm looking for with a game you know what i mean because realistically like so here actually i'm curious about this do you um do you all like when they do they print like a first copy like a prototype like or a pre-production copy is that what they call it and then like airmail it to you yeah so we we get a couple of different samples along the way before we like mass produce so uh we get white samples which is basically they will make your game as it would be except everything is white So it's just a white box, whiteboard. So you can, that's basically just to check the materials and make sure they're what you want. Um, And then you can get, you can get um, like digital color samples. So you can check to make sure the colors transfer right between what you send to what they're actually going Mm -hmm. to print. Uh, So you can get digital proofs for that. If you want, you can get uh, physical proofs for that too. So they can just send you a, like one full printed copy of your game so that you can check to make sure the materials are still good the colors what you want um everything is cut right like the the die cuts are correct and 
um, you can do that. Doing all of those steps does take time because, you know, they have to they have to set their machines up and print it and then ship it to you and you have to give feedback. And if it's not correct, and then you might have to do some more testing. So it takes time, but there are, there are steps you can take along the way on the along the way to make sure that, you know, everything looks how you want it to look. No, that makes sense. So, I mean, is that something if I can ask, like, does it depend on the project to which ones you decide to do? Um, Or do you always do them all or? Um, It depends. So there are stuff that we always do. So we always do digital proofs. um, Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, I I figured that. Um, Ideally, it would be great to hit all of those steps, but sometimes the timelines don't work and you have to cut out some. Right. Right. Um, but it, it's all about, you know, just figuring out what is possible with your timeline and also with your budget because they, sometimes they charge for those samples too. Right. And I, I've heard that for like the actual, like pre-production copy where it's like a real sample of like the full physical game, that that can be quite pricey because like you said, you know, um, they have to set everything up. Somebody had said to me, that when you're doing smaller print runs of, you know, like say 2000 games or less, um, that they're, they're barely even charging you for the materials. What they're mostly charging you for is setting up those machines and mm-hmm. operating them and having the people run them. That's what most of your cost is. I don't know if that's true, but that's what somebody had said to me as a, I think there were smaller publisher said that. Yeah, it, it definitely does influence the cost. Right. Right. Um, you know that's it's interesting though. Like the I had no idea that the the white sample was even a thing, and that's really intriguing to me. Um, to, like, that you'd get like <laughs> this blank version of your game because you know if you're especially if you've got weirdly cut bits or something or pieces, and you need to know that they're mm-hmm. going to be fitting in a certain way. That that makes total sense. Um, yeah, that's that's super interesting. Um, yeah. So. Um, so what do you think with uh, thinking about the um, thinking about the operation side of things that you're doing now? Um, w- when it comes to that, uh, do, do you think the same challenges? Are there other challenges uh, specifically that you feel like, you know, are, are the big kind of hurdles to jump over when you're working on these projects? Does anything stand out as like the, the biggest hurdles? Um, I mean, the biggest hurdle for me, I guess, would be this is the first time I'm in more of like a, like an independent kind of project manager kind of position where yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, helping for sure. oversee all of the different things that are happening. So mm-hmm. I have had uh, in the past, I've been like a, a really strong perfectionist. Like I need to have my hands on it to make sure that it's going right. <laughs> right, so, right. I've gotten a lot better at that over time uh, and I've mellowed out a lot more, but that is something that it, it still like picks at the back of my brain when stuff is going yep. on. So that is just like a personal thing uh, that I'm having to handle. But a lot of it is just kind of figuring out uh, how, how to best manage. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, so I spent about 20 years in the corporate world and I knew several, um, uh, several people who, be- who became project managers along the way. And, and the one I think that had the most trouble was somebody, a good friend of mine. And, and she was an analyst before that. And, and she very much was a perfectionist about 
things like just like you described right and switching to that role where suddenly you can't like understand every single piece of what's happening like every time that's really a hard transition like because right you're so used to relying on that and relying on those things and now someone else is doing that part and you have to manage these other things and that's yeah that's for sure tough and you know um yeah, because because in the end, like as the as the operations manager or project manager or whatever you happen to be, you're still the one in charge of it, right? <laughs> and you're the one that's saying this has to happen. Um, it certainly is daunting. Mm-hmm. There's also something almost kind of nice about it too. I mean, like I am, I am still helping oversee these projects. So, like ultimately, if things go wrong, I'm the one that's helping oversee it. So it is. Right, part right. Of my fault too but there is also something nice about knowing like this aspect of shipping planning was super stressful and now i am not the one that is doing it uh so, <laughs> right so right, that's right. kind of nice you're like i can be here to help when they need help but i don't have to actually <laughs> do it that's a good point <laughs> um so the other thing i was interested about you talked about you did customer support for jellybean and, and you still do some customer support for pandasaurus mm-hmm. so I, i'm curious like in general, what what is that like doing customer support in, in the game design world? I, I know what it, or the game publishing world. I, I know what it's like in general. I've done customer support before myself, but I, I'm curious, you know, what kind of your, um, you know, what your thoughts are on that in the game design world, or the game publishing world. Sorry, um, you know, what your experiences are with that. Um, I mean, there are there are definitely highs and lows. I mean, it, with any kind of customer support, there are highs <laughs> right. and lows, but it is nice that the the people that I'm helping like games. Like that's the whole point. That's the whole right, reason right. that we're interacting. Um, so it's nice to have that in common. And I I like Jelly Beans games and I like Pandasaurus's games. So we whoever I'm working with, yeah. I typically have that in common mm-hmm. with. Um, I think right. the hardest thing with board games is the I guess the. Well, what's how do how do I say this? I guess there's like stuff that the customers don't know that um, the publishers do know, and that kind of knowledge disparity sometimes can cause yeah like, frustration. So like we're talking a lot about these like intricate logistics stuff right now, and mm-hmm. something like a the weather messing up a ship or like intricate that brexit stuff that's going on can delay stuff um getting fulfilled on time and that is something that the company is dealing with internally but it's not typically something that a backer or a customer is seeing so right the big thing that you have to do with customer support is make sure that you are um you're you're letting the customers know about that so the thing that i felt is really helpful for customer support especially in board games is just to be really transparent about everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so just letting people know, like, no, don't try to cover up something if it's not going right. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. So if you said something was going to start shipping a month ago and uh, the postal service shuts down essentially um, as it did in December when we were shipping stuff, it's, it's really right. helpful and important to be upfront with your customers and not just say like, oops, stuff got delayed. Like it, it helps to explain the reasoning for right, stuff right. that's happening. And I think that that usually 
helps that relationship, not only me as the customer support person with the backer, but also like it, it helps build a stronger relationship between the backer and the publisher itself. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, like you said, I mean, there's so many in- intricacies with what, what you're doing here with publishing games that the, the the backers don't want to think about that, right? Like they want to think of like, I order a game on Kickstarter, they immediately send it to the printer, the printer prints it, and they send it to my house, right? Just It's just, it's easy, right? You know, um, having dealt with customer support in the mortgage industry, um, it's the same type of thing where it's basically like a bunch of stuff your average person doesn't understand and doesn't have to understand, right? Because they don't deal with it. Um, so when things don't work out like they would like it to or like everyone wanted it to, um, that can be very frustrating. Um, and they don't necessarily understand the why around that. And the fact that you know the companies you work for are saying, hey, be transparent, let them know what's really happening. That's fantastic because that really helps ensure <laughs> that... Um, you know, that, uh, that people are, um, you know, they have the best means of understanding what's actually happening. So that's, that's great that the companies are doing that. So two, two things I'm curious about one, what, what in general, not for either of the companies or just in general, what is the, the most like typical average contact you're having with customers? Like, I'm curious, like, why are they reaching out to you in general? Um, it's usually questions about a Kickstarter that's running. <laughs> okay, right, right. I was curious if it was like, I need these game bits, there was a problem with my game, or is it, it's mostly, hey, this Kickstarter, and you know, insert question here, mm-hmm. is that, so that's mostly what it is? Yeah, so I mean, you do get um, people reaching out about, game pieces being missing in their game. So you have to send them replacement pieces or um, sometimes you get rules questions, but a lot of it is like there is a Kickstarter currently happening. I have questions about it or there is a Kickstarter currently fulfilling. Where's my package? Right. Where's my game? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get you. And then I I was curious though, like with, with the pandemic and everything going on, have have customers kind of extended a bit more grace to companies or are they still really wanting their stuff? Like, is there kind of an unspoken understanding or, or no? I'm just curious. And maybe you don't want to answer that question. I don't know. <laughs> um, it, it's, you see both. So some people are very understanding right. when there yeah. are delays and then some people are still like, this country has not had a problem. So surely your country must not have a problem either. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's, so it, and that's yeah. It's that's too it's bad, just but. that you know different parts of the world are having different issues at different times. So some right, people are right. understanding when they're facing issues, and some people are not understanding. And that's you know it, it's just how it is. Yeah, it, it's that is something that's off game topic, but really that brings up to me is you were talking about how my, my country is having different experience than yours is. So why is your country not just having my experience? This, this, uh, this woman was working, she's from New Zealand. She was working in the UK when the pandemic hit and she said, well, this will over in a few months. I'm just going to keep working here. That's cool. And then, you know, nine months later she was like, yeah, I want to go home. So she went to New Zealand. Uh, she did her two week quarantine because required <laughs> when you go to New Zealand to quarantine for 14 days. And she said, 
it was the single weirdest experience she's had in her life because everything is normal. No one's wearing masks. People are just hanging out. They're greeting each other like normal. Everything's normal because their country has got it under control. I'm like our country, uh, that is not. So, uh, or the UK also struggling. So that was, uh, it was very interesting to me. And I, I think that a lot of people don't realize that different places, it's, it's different, right? Things mm-hmm. are, and that's normal. Like that's not even pandemic, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're sending games in Europe compared to here or in Asia or, or, you know, the UK or wherever, right. It's, it's different, right. It's different everywhere. Um, yeah. And that makes logistics and timelines different, right? Yeah. Y'all be nice to your customer support people and your publishers. Right. We're trying the world. is Right. Right. The world is a mess. We want to get your games to you. Right. Right. I mean, that's the thing too. Like, you know, how anybody could cast the publisher as the villain, right? It's like, literally i made a game and i desperately want to put it in your hands like it's my business it's what i do also i love games and i want other people to love games right so <laughs> it's like your one mission but yeah no be I, people need to be nice to customer people you know customer support i mean i'm i'm the person who like gets takeout and then like over tips right now because like <laughs> i understand that like you know like people like things are rough and you know if you can help people help people and at least the one thing you can do is just be nice to people. Like that's, that's actually free. It's not hard. <laughs> um, you know, so, <laughs> so, uh, on that note, I love talking about this, but before we run out of time, I want to hear about a game you recently designed. And, and we, we talked about this game, um, a while back real briefly when Carla from where draft was on the, on the show, uh, we talked about the game gift of tulips, uh, and she gave me kind of a little intro to it. And I was like, this sounds awesome. Uh, and she said, well, you should talk to the designer then. Uh, and I said, <laughs> well, let's do it. And then now a couple months later, here you are on the show, uh, to talk about it. So I would, uh, love if you would, if you would pitch, um, to us, uh, gift of tulips. Yeah. So in gift of tulips, everybody that's playing is exploring the tulip festival in Amsterdam and you are you know, you're hanging out and having fun with your tulips. So you're trying to get beautiful tulips to add to your bouquet. You're adding them to the festival, um, which will influence scoring at the end of the game. And you're also gifting them to other players to add to their bouquets. Um, So basically on your turn, it's really simple. All you're going to do is draw a card and do an action and then draw a card and do a different action. So one of the actions you can do is add a tulip to your bouquet So this is just your tableau of cards that you're going to score at the end of the game. You can add something to another person's bouquet and then it'll go into their tableau and then they'll score it at the end of the game. But you will get points for however much that tulip is currently worth. And then you can also add things into the festival market. So that festival market is going to be what determines how everybody's cards score at the end of the game and it fluctuates so at one point uh blue tulips might be worth the most so if i keep a blue tulip uh i am saying i might get a lot of points for this at the end of the game or i can give it to somebody else and get a lot of points because it's currently worth a lot of points and then try to tank blue tulips by the end of the game Um, Or if I have cards that aren't worth very much, I can try to add some more of those to the festival display so that at the end of the game, they're going to be worth more. 
So during the game, you're just, you know, adding stuff to your bouquet, to the other person's bouquet, and you're trying to gain control of that market as it fluctuates during the game so that you can make your mm-hmm. point, your cards score the most. Yeah, that sounds, I, it sounds like there's a good deal of positive player interaction in there with the, so like if I give a tool up to someone, presumably you, you, you said I get points for how much it's worth right now. I'm assuming mm-hmm. if it's good for them, it's worth more points. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So if, let's say if blue is currently worth the most points at the end of the game, if I give it to somebody else, I'm going to get a lot of points in this moment. Okay. But if I could then tank the price of blue, they will get less for it at the end of the game. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's, so that's really interesting. So, um, so obviously earlier in the game, that feels probably more powerful than when you're getting to the later game and it might be a little more obvious or where things are going to head. Is that correct? Or is it, is it, is it unpredictable? So sometimes it's, it, it feels like you, you know where it's going to go, but there's also a thing called the hidden market, which in, instead of adding a tulip face up to the market, you can put it face down into the hidden market. And at the end of the game, you'll shuffle up every card that's in the hidden market and you'll deal part of those out. So right before you score, some of those hidden cards are going to come out and it'll influence the market one last time before oh. you score. So it's, it's possible. Like the tulip mafia. Yeah. So it's possible, like, <laughs> I could collect a lot of yellow or is yellow in the game? <laughs> I haven't seen the, the most updated art. I could collect a lot of blue, right? And blue mm-hmm. publicly looks like it's not worth very much, but I could hide a lot of blue cards in that hidden market. So, okay. so people haven't been collecting blue because they think it's not going to be worth very much. But then at the end, it, it might actually get worth more because I've been trying to secretly build that up. Oh, that's, I like that. I like that a lot. And it's, um, it plays, what are the, what's the player count on it? Uh, two to six. Two to six. Nice. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, I always like the games that I can play with two or, you know, three or four or even five or six. That's awesome. Um, so what was the I'm curious. I don't always ask this question, but I'm curious with this theme, like what, you know, what was kind of the inspiration for you in this theme for um, did it start as a tulip game? Um, it it has gone full circle. So I am. <laughs> really really into gardening and like nature and stuff so my my white whale is that i really want to design a super cool like scientifically based intricate gardening game like that's what i really want to do so literally every game i start off with starts with either gardening or animals is the theme so it started off (laughs) as gardening and then it changed to a bunch of different stuff so as the game mechanics changed the theme didn't quite feel like it fit anymore, so I changed the theme to kind of fit more cohesively with what the game felt like. So for a while, it was like dinosaur-based, like you were building a dinosaur zoo. Um, I got really, really into the show Hilda on Netflix, so then I was like, I'm going to just make this a Hilda game. Um, <laughs> and then uh, at some point I saw... At some point I had the game mechanics working really well, but I didn't quite have a a theme that really fit that much anymore. So 
I was kind of looking around and then there was uh, some kind of prompt, I think, for for a game design about traveling to different places. So the theme had to be related to traveling. So I thought that I was going to submit it for that. So I was like, Tulip Festival in Amsterdam, it's kind of gardening. But it's also like traveling and fun. So it's kind of, it's gone full circle. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's, I I always love to hear the story of when a game, you know, changes themes multiple times. And it's cool that this went back to a gardening theme (laughs) (laughs) after going all the way around. Uh, It sounds, it sounds super interesting though. Um, uh, The, yeah, a lot of cool mechanics in there. I, I, for one, can't wait to try it. Um, And it's going to go on Kickstarter, I believe on March 2nd. Is that correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Awesome. So uh, hopefully everyone will check that out. I know I will be checking that one out. Um, it sounds really cool and I'm excited to see. I can't wait to actually get out there and see the art and stuff on Kickstarter as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, and Weird Giraffe always puts out good stuff. I'm sorry. Yeah. So the the game is fun. The game is great. You should totally play the game. But the art is so good. Like it has, it's so oh, nice. beautiful. Awesome. Yeah, tulips are are a really pretty flower. And, you know, like I mentioned to you before, I I grew up by Holland, Michigan, where they have this huge tulip festival and like just the rows and rows of tulips of different colors and stuff. They're just, yeah, it just, they're just, yeah, I'm enamored by staring at them. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to see the art in this game. It sounds awesome. And my favorite part about the art is... um that famous Delft kind of style pattern where it's like the white and blue intricate, like on porcelain kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yep, yep. That is the back of the cards and it is gorgeous. It looks so oh, good. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, um, that kind of that Dutch style mm-hmm. with the, yeah, I know exactly from the, yeah. Yep. Oh, that's very cool. Awesome. Well, hey, Sarah, thanks again for coming on the show and uh, chatting about uh, what you do and, and your game and all of that. I'm really, it was, it was a good time. Mm-hmm. So um, listeners, if you uh, want to get in touch with us, you can find us at buildingthegamepodcast.com. There you can check out our Discord. There's a link under the Discord tab. Uh, join our Discord community. It's a lot of fun. We talk about a lot of cool stuff. Uh, you can also uh, find us uh, at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on the Twitter at PodcastBTG. I am at J.A. Slingerland. Sarah, what's your Twitter? SarahPerry96. There's no H in my name. It's just S-A-R-A. Everybody gets it confused. I, I have mistyped it several times. And then went, <laughs> I don't think there's an H there. And went, look back like there is not. And taking it back off again. So, um, Awesome. So uh, also, listeners, uh, you can find us, of course, on Facebook and all the podcasting places as well. You can also call us. I almost forgot that one at 770-TEL-BTG. And until next time, we say good night. (laughs) Good night. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770-TEL-BTG. Please don't use the email.